Father, we thank you for the gift that it is to be still and know that you are God and that we are not. Well, we acknowledge before you this morning that we are powerless to change our own lives, more or less the lives of those around us, even more so the culture that rages all around us, Lord. Filled with deception and contempt, we cannot overcome, Lord God, apart from you. But in you, all things are possible. And so, Lord, we pray today that you would help us to rise up in you, Lord God. For we know that you are God, that you are sovereign in control of all things, and that you are holy and righteous in all your ways. And we ask simply that your will will be done, that your kingdom will come in this time as it is in heaven. And Lord, as we leave here today, we pray that you would use us in powerful ways to fight the battle in the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray this all in the precious name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said, amen. Well, it's a gift to be with you today as we continue in our series called Sacred. And this is our last week. I'm in a three-week series. If you've been with us, you know Ben started us off in week one about the sacredness of all of life. Last week, I talked to you about the sacredness of this gift called sexuality. And today, we're going to talk about sacred gender. And I want to say to you up front, there's things that I'm going to teach today that I never thought that I would have to say. There's things that I'm going to teach that seem so foundation or so fundamental to our senses that I never thought I would have to say them. But can I proclaim to you today that sense is no longer common? Anybody say amen to that? So there is outlandish strategies afoot by the evil one. But we must be equipped to stand firm on the bedrock of Jesus Christ and proclaim his truth in love. For we do not overcome evil with more evil. We overcome evil with love, with goodness, with kindness, with gentleness, with patience, with forgiveness. You know the little song, I think I taught it to you a while back. I hope I can remember it myself. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Do not be overcome by evil. Can you sing that with me? Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Do not be overcome by evil. Well, thank you for the theology in that little song. Thank you for the truth that we are not ones who wage war the way the world does. And we are lovers after you. We are peacemakers after you. And we are truth bearers after you. So Lord, have your way in us now as we continue to fight this battle for your glory and for your glory alone. Thank you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. I want to proclaim to you today that life is sacred. We kind of had this little definition up front. All of us are sacred and all of us are valuable because we are made in his image. God says they are mine. My name is attached, so handle with care. So we proclaimed in the first week, Ben did, that all of life is to be handled with care. And last week we talked about this incredible gift called sexuality that is to be handled with great care because it's powerful. 
And God created it to be between one man and one woman in the context of a lifelong committed relationship called marriage. And that's God's design, period. I know it's not very politically correct. I know people get upset when you say things like that. But you know what? I don't really care about being popular. I just want to be truthful, and I want to be used by Jesus. Anybody else want to do that? All right, so look. We need to understand that there are strategies afoot to undermine your ability to speak the truth in love. You must rise up in Jesus Christ and be willing to love fearlessly and speak the truth fearlessly because when you speak the truth of God, you are loving people. You have to understand that truth is not separate from love. God is truth and God is love. When God speaks truth, he is speaking love. More on that later. But all of life is sacred and all that is sacred is worth fighting for. Why? Here's the first reason. We need to fight for it so that we can steer clear of temptations ourselves and protect the sacredness of our own souls. The scripture says this, no temptation has seized you except what is common to all men. And God will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will provide a way out that you may stand up under it. Every single one of us is tempted to sin. You were probably tempted just this morning. Anybody say amen to that? I've been, attempted, I've been tempted to give way to fear. Why? My flesh really doesn't want to give this message. I don't really want to get up here and say these kinds of things in my flesh. But he who lives in me is greater than he who is in the world. And he who lives in me is greater than my flesh. And my, my new man wants the flesh to die anyway. So I'm standing up here saying, Jesus, kill my flesh. I wonder if you're saying the same thing. Jesus, have your way in me, no matter what the cost. Because the price you paid for me was so great, you gave your life for me, that I now have life eternal with you. God, do in me what I cannot do in myself. So one... We fight for what is sacred because we need to steer clear of temptation ourselves. Two, we fight for what is sacred because we are to lovingly warn others around us and point them to Jesus. Now, I know warning people is not a very popular notion. I know bringing truth into the context of relationships, especially when it comes to sexuality and gender, is not a very popular thing. But God calls us to be those who speak truth in love. And that's part of fighting the battle, and indeed, the battle is heating up. The Charlotte Menkinsburg Public School District in North Carolina instructed their principals and their school counselors this summer to stop using the words boys and girls. The generic scholars and students are preferred. A boy can go on an overnight school trip with girls if he self-identifies as a girl. If any teachers are confused about what gender is and what it is not, the helpful gender unicorn stands ready to instruct them. Princeton University's Human Resources Department has distributed an official recommendations for the use of gender-inclusive language. No one can no longer man the reception desk. It must be staffed. He or she or him or her, a man or a woman, are now four-letter words at Princeton. Will the Women's Studies Department have to change their name to Person Studies? And are feminists being required to become personists? Yes, this gets very confusing. 
Because God is a God of order. The enemy wants to create confusion. The state of Massachusetts has enacted new laws that carry punishments for government and private employees and employers who refuse to use gender-identified persons' personal pronouns. One university is saying that there are 31 personal pronouns that now need to be identified and used when you refer to a person by their gender. Of course, they're proclaiming that there are 31 unique and separate genders. And you need to know what hour and what day that person is identifying by that gender, and you need to call them by that name, by that personal pronoun. The state of Massachusetts is enacting a law that could punish those under the law for not accommodating the wishes of transgender-identified people. Basically teaching that the Judeo-Christian truth about God and how he made humans as male and female could land a rabbi or someone like me, a pastor, in some serious trouble. Folks, this is biblical stuff. If you look back at the book of Acts, you realize that people were being persecuted, beaten, thrown in jail for proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. Do you know what happens when persecution comes? Maturity escalates, and the church explodes for the glory of God because those of us in Christ rise up. An astonishing 17 pupils at a single British school. Listen to this carefully. 17 pupils at a British school are in the process of changing genders at the same school. Most of these youngsters are undergoing the transformation are artistic. Not artistic, I'm sorry, autistic. According to the teacher there who said their vulnerable children with mental health problems are being tricked into believing that they are the wrong sex. The teacher says she feels compelled to speak out to protect the pupils, many of whom she believes could already be taking powerful hormone drugs that block and stop their development as young men or young women. And they are going through some of them life-changing surgery. She has a student who already has had a double radical mastectomy who believes she is a man rather than a woman. Actually, I'm sorry, she believes she's a boy rather than a girl. She's not even at the manhood place. She believes schools and some politicians have swallowed hook, line, and sinker, a politically correct fallacy peddled by a powerful transgender lobby. I'm going to stop here for a second. This is not about what the LGBTQ, I can't believe I said that right, LGBTQ community is doing. This is about what the enemy of God is doing. This is about what Satan is doing. She asked the, the person who interviewed her to conceal her identity for fear of dismissal after almost 20 years as a teacher. She's afraid of being fired. She said you can call her Carol. She advised, she is advised by the administration to keep parents and other teachers in the dark if a pupil claims to be transgender. They are allowing students to actually go through gender reassignment, hormonal treatment, and surgery without a parent's permission. She says, I don't believe that they're actually transgender. They are just young people with complex mental health issues who have found an identity and they want to be part of a group of like-minded people. She said, they are looking for acceptance and they're finding some rising rock stars in the transgender movement and when they identify immediately as being kind of a man in the wrong person's body or a woman in the wrong person's body, now they get escalated to the actual kind of place of stardom among their fellow students. Do you see what the enemy is doing? 
He's giving them a place to be recognized for all the wrong reasons. Berkeley Antifa has targeted a new enemy. Soft-spoken Asian woman, she's precious. She's a member of the student government named Isabella Chow. Maybe you've heard of Isabella. She's also part of Cal's Christian community. What's her crime? She abstained from a student resolution condemning Trump's administration proposal to restore the original intent of the word sex to mean biological sex. In other words, Trump has a proposal on board that says you are the gender that you are on your birth certificate. If you were born with certain parts of your body, you are a man. If you were born with other parts of your body, you're a woman, and that's who you are. Right, 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 right. So, so this woman at Berkeley stands up and says, uh, in the most gentle and beautiful way, she said, I can't, I can't sign this because I know you're all standing opposed to this. She didn't attack or she didn't criticize anybody. She simply abstained, and this is what she said. My God is one who assigns immeasurable value and desires to love each and every human being. In God's eyes and therefore my own, every one of you here today and in the LGBTQ community as a whole are significant, valid, wanted, and loved, even if our views differ. And Chow went on to say, I believe that God created male and female at the beginning of time and designed sex for marriage between one man and one woman. Then I cannot vote for this bill without compromising my values and my responsibility to the community that elected me to represent them. This is a precious woman of God, folks. I saw an interview with her. She's got a soft, open, loving heart. And all she's saying is, I can't participate. Backlash was immediate and virulent. She was lampasted for bigotry and hatred. Her campus political party repudiated her. A petition was circulating demanding that she resign from the student government or face a recall. recall. The student senate meeting packed with hundreds of students. They harangued her for three hours and the student newspaper denounced her and they refused to allow her to publish a response. Teddy Lake, the student who introduced the resolution for the Queer Alliance and Resource Center, declared and was offended that Chow would actually ask the Senate to respect her beliefs as she does theirs. His contemptuous reply was, what Senator Chow expressed tonight were not beliefs at all. They were hateful prejudices that deserve nothing less than the strongest condemnation. Do you hear what's happening? Do you know that if you say you believe marriage is between one man and one woman, and that we are born either male or female, and that's our lot, given by the, the hand of a sovereign creator. If you say these kinds of things, you are now filled with hatred and bigotry. This is how we fight our battles, in the blood of Jesus Christ. Twitter, Antifa denounced that Chow's horribly and homophobic and transphobic ideas and her disgusting position, they said. And the animus against Chow was so fierce that the university canceled her piano recital, worried that protesters would disrupt it. She now has to walk to class with basically bodyguards. Folks, I could go on and on and on, but you're getting a picture. I'm going to ask now if there's somebody here that's called to pray for Isabella. Somebody here called to pray for Isabella. Would somebody be willing to cry out to God 
on behalf of this woman. Is there somebody here that would be willing to also pray for this teacher in Britain? Would you please be willing to pray for teachers? Is there anybody that's feeling called to pray? I'm actually asking to come up and pray. Who's going to do that for me? Somebody's going to do that for me. Someone. Thank you. Thank you. Do I have a mic up here? This is mic one. You can bring that up. Thank you so much, sister. I appreciate your willingness to pray. Go ahead. Let's pray. Let's pray together. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, thank you so much for everything you've given us and did for us and helping grow us each and every day. Also, dear Lord, thank you for Pastor Jeff for giving us the word of blessing each and every Sunday and throughout the week. Dear Lord, please be with Isabella and keep give her strong incentives to do what she's doing and please dear lord protect her yes lord jesus if anything just protect her and give her the whole spirit yeah. to let her keep going on dear lord for what they're doing out there in every other state we know it's wrong mm. this church right here knows it's wrong yes and i'm sure every other church that knows it's wrong also thank you dear lord please just protect each and every one out there that knows that this is wrong. Mm. I don't know what else to say, dear Lord. Mm. You are strong. Thank you, Lord, you are. Yes, you are. You are strong. Mm. And we know, we know you are here. Mm. We know you are there. We know you are in every state, not just there. Dear Lord, just protect them mm. and give them kids. Mm. Give them kids their own identity mm. and take Satan away. Yes, Lord. We thank you so much and we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank, thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. I hope that you are praying. I hope that you are crying out to the Lord on behalf of what is happening around us because we are in the midst of a war and the, the war is continuing to rage on. So I want to point out to you that, that all that is sacred is worth fighting for, but we have to come back to this truth, that everything that God speaks is love. So when God says, you know, sex is between one man and one woman for a lifetime in a committed relationship, he's doing that because he knows how he made sexuality. Likewise, when he said they are man and woman together represent the image of God, he knows how he made us. God does not make mistakes. Say that after me. God does not make mistakes. Everything he does, everything he says is love. So what Isabella is doing is speaking love. Now you do know that the one who is love came and walked our sod. And you do know that he was hung on a cross and killed. He was love. He was perfect love in every way. And if you're going to follow him, you are going to get beat up. The scripture says this, if they persecuted me, they're certainly going to persecute you. No servant is greater than his master. What's he saying? He's like, look, if you truly follow after me, you are going to get your butt kicked. However, I have given you the victory. And in the end, 
I am victorious and I live in you and I died for you and in the end when the war is over, what will be left will be me and my people. See, what God speaks is love. We really need to know this because what the enemy says sounds a lot like love too. We're going to get to that in a second. But what he speaks is only hate and destruction. Now, what we're being accused of is hate and destruction. What Isabella is being accused of is hate and destruction. And what those who oppose her are speaking sounds a lot like love. But you got to understand, love cannot be separated from truth. But the enemy, he's crafty. He's going to mix in just the right amount of truth. He's going to take just the right amount of what God says. He's going to mix it in there with the deception and he's going to go right for the juggler. As I stated last week, God is not a cosmic killjoy. He's not someone who wants to rule and reign over you by making up a bunch of rules that inhibit you and keep you from freedom and fun. No, he actually wants more for you than you want for yourself. And you must believe this about God. If the sun sets you free, if the sun sets you free, I've come that they would have life and life to the fullest. I've come to set the captives free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. You see, like, he's saying this all over the place. He says, I love you, I love you, I love you. I want to set you free from your captivity. But in order for you to do, be set free, you must follow me, he says. You must believe in me, he says. You must ascribe to my truth. He said, look, if you hold to my teaching, then you're truly my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Well, if truth sets you free, we've said it many times before, error, deception, causes bondage. But deception can be very subtle, and it creeps in very slowly over time. It's the frog in the pot analogy. If you're familiar with the frog in the pot analogy, you can take a frog, and you can throw him in a pot of hot boiling water, and guess what he will do? He will jump out, because he realizes, ouch, this is hot, I gotta get out of here. But if you put him in a pot of cold water and you turn the heat up slowly over time, you know what he will do? He will sit in there and cook until he is dead. And this is the way the enemy works. You see, if he was to bring all this stuff on in one onslaught, most of them would see him and go, ha, no way. But it's a slow increase over time and God needs us to know he needs us to understand his word and follow him in such a way that we trust him with our very lives and our very souls. Look, it's hard to follow Jesus. It's much harder not to follow Jesus. In the end, it is so hard not to follow Jesus because the captivity and bondage that comes from being engaged with deception and believing it yields so much brokenness and destruction in our lives. So look, all that God speaks is love. And when we enter into this battle, there's a couple things we need to do. First, we need to begin with the end in mind. We've already talked about this, but you need to say this out loud. Say it out loud with me. I have victory in Jesus. I have victory in Jesus. If you do not believe this, you will become discouraged, frustrated, unhinged, and frenetic. And you will either fight or flight. Now let me help you understand what I mean by fighting. You will become unhinged and you will become so irritated that you will start handing, handling biblical issues in an unbiblical way. 
I'm going to say this again. If you do not believe that Jesus has already won the victory, all this stuff will get you so railed up that you will actually start fighting a biblical matter in an unbiblical way. You will start to look like a fool. Now, how many of you are on Facebook? How many of you actually try and engage in political conversations on Facebook? Get honest. How many of you try and engage in political conversations on Facebook? <laughs> okay, I'll put my hand up this time. Like, I do at times because I still think, like, it's potential for us to have healthy discourse. And you know what happens sometimes? I get in a great conversation with, like, I'll just call my buddy Pat up in Philadelphia who doesn't know Jesus and hates God. He's still a friend of mine. He knows I love him, but he hates God. And he just really hates me at times when I talk about God. So I try and talk about God as much as I can around him. But this is what will happen. We'll get engaged in a conversation on Facebook, and I'll say, hey, Pat, like, why do you hate Jesus so much? And he'll go, I don't hate Jesus. I just hate any notion of God. He goes off on this whole thing. And I'm trying to gently speak to him. I'm trying to gently encourage him, even on a Facebook post. And then some of my well-meaning friends start to chime in. And you make it worse because you start slamming Pat right and left, and you think you're doing something godly, and you're making it worse. Can I give you two words? Stop it. Stop it. That's not the way you're to handle people. You see, you've got to speak the truth in love. And you need to listen to the Holy Spirit so that you're building relationship because this is all about relationship. And can I tell you something? The Christian life is not so much about stopping sinning. The Christian life is about knowing Jesus Christ. And when you come to Jesus Christ, the sin issue starts to take care of itself because the more he's the center of your life, the more you realize that you're walking in sinfulness and the more that you turn to him. Some of us are just like swatting at flies the way we approach these things and we turn to fight others of us. We flight. How many of you just refuse to speak about anything that's difficult to almost anybody? Will you show your hands? You're doing it right now. <laughs> you know, I'm not me. I don't do that. You see, so many of us are given to a sphere of timidity. And fear causes the fight response, and fear causes the flight response. The scripture says God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of love and of peace and of sound mind. That's the spirit that God has given you. So when we flight, we avoid discussing difficult topics because we're afraid that the people around us will reject them. We advocate our responsibility to love them because we are afraid. And this is why I challenged you as parents last week, and this is why we'll challenge you again as parents again this week. If you do not talk to your children about sex, about gender, about homosexuality, and fill in the blank, someone else will. They are getting this information from the world. And you cannot, you cannot trust the village to raise the child anymore. The village is in deep weeds. There was a book I read years ago. It was about families. And the author listed the top ten complaints of teachers in the 1950s. And there were things like budding in line, chewing gum, speaking out of turn. Then he contrasted that with the top 10 list of teachers' complaints in the 1990s. And they were things like drugs, alcohol, guns, rape, inappropriate sexual behavior. 
Do you think in 50 years something has changed? My dad, if he were alive, he would be over 100 today. Probably 115, I think. He was pretty old when I was born, since I'm only 25. <laughs> but I ask him, Dad, have things changed much since you grew up? And all I could do is shake his head and say, Oh my, Jeff. Tears welled up in his eyes. He said, Life was different then. He said, We were sinful. We were broken for sure. But you can't trust the culture anymore to raise your kid. Not that you could ever in the 50s. It was still your responsibility now, but so much more so now. We must fight this battle with faith and confidence in God and in the finished work of Jesus Christ in a way that we do not flinch. We do not back away from adversity, but we speak the truth and love. That's what God calls us to do. So we have to fight with the end in mind. but We have to fight in the presence and power of God. Scripture says, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. What does this mean? It means you need to pray more and talk less. It means you actually don't have the resources in and of yourself, but God has given you everything to fight this battle and victory. So you must be consistently learning and listening the ways of the Spirit of God. You must be listening to the promptings of God through his word, through his people, and through his spirits, and you must yield yourself to him in obedience. You see, so many of us do not experience the power of God because we're not walking in the obedience of God. You must be taking great risks for the glory of God to experience the power of God. You see, this is what God calls us to do. We have to walk in his presence. Please read this scripture out loud with me. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments in every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought and we make it obedient to Christ. See, you can't know what the thoughts of Christ are if you don't spend time in the Word of God. The Word of God gives you the thoughts of God. And if you're not walking in the Spirit of God, then you can't apply the Word of God in everyday life. I can't tell you the number of times when God has revealed himself to be, to be this amazing God that weaves everything together. When I read something in the Word of God, and guess what? He gives me the opportunity to apply it that very day. He's a God that can do that. The question is, are you even spending time there so you can know how to take hold of your thoughts captive to Christ? How you can demolish strongholds and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. You see, we must be walking with the end in mind and the power of presence of God to be a reality for us, and we must walk in the grace of God. Now listen to this. Our culture has accepted two huge lies among many others. The first is this, that if you disagree with someone's lifestyle, that you must fear or hate them. I'm going to say that again. This is a huge lie, that if I disagree with someone's lifestyle, that means I must fear or hate them. That is a lie from the pit of hell. The second one is this, that to love someone means you have to agree with everything they say or do. Both of these are nonsense. If I, if I didn't love anybody, if I only loved those people that agreed with me, guess what? I would be alone. How many of you have ever found somebody that agrees with you 
She was a narcissist. Okay. Well, there you go. Well, so look here. Like, she didn't really agree with you 100%. She was doing it with ulterior motives. Like, the truth is nobody agrees with you 100%. And if you're going to wait around just to love people that agree with you, you're going to be very lonely indeed. Like, we disagree. You don't have to compromise your convictions to be compassionate. I'm going to say that again. You do not have to compromise your convictions to be compassionate towards people. You can still love them and care for them deeply and hold on to your convictions. But the world, the enemy of God is saying, oh, you're so filled with hate. You're just so filled with vitriol because you say things like, man and women are the only way that people can have marriage and sex together. That's so hateful. You see, the Lord doesn't want us to flinch in the the face of adversity. He wants us to walk forward trusting him in such a way that we can boldly declare the truth of God and still have compassion, still have compassion for those that are trapped in the enemy's snares. Listen to this scripture. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Stop. How many of you would like your thought life from the last week, your entire thought life from the whole last week, projected up on these screens for everybody to see? Anybody want that? Not a one taker. I wonder why that is. You know why? Because you're messed up. You know why I'm messed up too? I, I mean, honestly, if you, if you got in here sometimes, you would run out and scream. This is a rat's nest, my friends. And it isn't you too. You know why? Because I've sat with enough of you. At least you get honest. And you go, mine's a rat nest too. And we say, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. I'm so lost up here. Can I tell you something? We're all mentally unstable. Some of you are rather indignant right now. I can't believe he called me mentally unstable. I didn't. God did. He says, you're a sinner. He said, your thought life is a mess. And you have to bring it to him. All of us are sinners and fall short of the glory of God. Why? So that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. The truth of the matter is, when we talk about things like homosexuality and gender issues and all this other kind of stuff, some of us who are Christians, we make those sins so much greater than our own. Can I tell you something? They are not. Can I tell you something? The ground is level at the foot of the cross. And that's what this scripture says. It says the whole world is to be held accountable and silenced before God. Why? Because he's holy and we're not. And here's the scripture. It says, therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we became conscious of our own sin. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So when you enter into conversations, when I enter into conversations with people who disagree with us, yes, we realize sometimes they are in deep error. They are being deceived. But let me ask you a question. Do you remember where you came from? Do you remember the cloth from which you've been cut? Do you know what redemption has done for you? Do you remember, do you even know the potential that you have for destruction in your thought life alone? 
So we must always be humble before God and humble before our fellow human beings. If you're sitting there listening to somebody and you think, I could never think that, or I could never do that, can I tell you to have another think again? A lot of times when I say stuff like that, I end up doing it like three weeks later. You say things like this, if not for the grace of God, there go I. You say that after me? If not for the grace of God, there go I. No matter how crazy you think people are, you can be right there with them. My seminary professor, John Wargle, who I deeply respected, he used to, you know, rock in front of the classroom when we'd walk in, and he would sit with his eyes down, he'd sit on the back of his chair, and we knew we were entering into the presence of God, because John was praying. And he would always look up and say something deeply profound. And one day he looked up and he said, folks, all of us are only this far from the asylum. And then he put his head back down and prayed. And we all went, oh. And we all went, crap, we are. <laughs> Folks, you are only this far from the asylum if not for the grace of God. Where would you be? So when we look at people who are confused about their gender identity, when we look at people who have same-sex attraction, don't sit there and shake your finger. Don't do that. Why? Because what the scripture says ends up coming back to you when you cast judgment. That judgment comes back to you in a circle. That's not what you sow, what you reap, and you reap what you sow. Like, God says, no, you show grace and loving kindness to every person, for they are created in the image of God. And because they are created in the image of God, they're worthy and valuable of your love because they are valuable before God. And God wants each one of us to treat each other the way that we would want to be treated, knowing full well that we're all a mess. We're called to be wise as serpents and gentle as doves. So when we fight, we have to fight with the end in mind. We have to fight with the presence and power of God. And we have to fight with the grace of God. And we have to fight with the truth of God. Now this is very important. The scripture says that Satan is the father of lies. And that he masquerades as an angel of life. He tries to make evil things look and sound good. So I'm going to show you a little video here for a second. This is a, a video about the Thaby movement. Anybody hear about the Thabies? Not too many people have heard about Thabies. This is actually pretty popular. It started in New York about a year or two ago. Thabies are groups of parents that are raising their children in a gender-neutral way. In other words, they're not telling them if they're boys or girls. And they're not using language like boy and girl. They're using things like they and their. And they want to teach their children that gender is fluid. They can choose to be whatever gender they want to be. So I want you to listen, and I want you to listen specifically to what these people are saying. I want you to hear the words that they use to describe the motivations of why they're raising their children in this way. Let's take a look. Are we a normal family? We have two kids, order dominoes for dinner sometimes. All right, I'm ready to go. In many ways, we fit the, the kind of normal stereotype. Our kids, Caden and Zyler, are three and a half years old, and we're raising them using they, them, their gender-neutral pronouns so that they can decide for themselves uh, when, if, and how they want to identify as a gender.
So I think that knowing the sex or the gender of your child is important to other people, partially just because it's part of the social script. They don't notice that they're any different from any other children because they have no idea that some children are she and some children are he. All right. To them, they're all children. Um, so like, they don't notice any difference and the other kids that they're with don't notice any difference. Yeah. A lot of young girls are, when they grow up, they're told, you know, don't get dirty, don't do that, that's not safe, be careful, those kinds of things. And then they grow up to think that they're not capable of doing all these things. And then the young boys are told, oh, don't cry, you're okay, be strong. And then they aren't comfortable having emotions, which can cause a lot of problems when they're older. Gender is not something that we have discussed with either of them at all, really. We're as nervous about that as most parents are about, like, how our baby's made. They haven't really asked about it, so we're waiting until that question comes up. I think we're just kind of going to wing it a little bit when we get there. Um, but, you know, telling them that, you know, gender is something that's, that's fluid and, you know, a lot of people have penises identify as being boys, but that that's not something that is necessary if you feel like you're a girl, um, and vice versa. So, I just want to summarize the last statement there. She said, we want to, you know, we're as nervous of this conversation about gender as most parents are about sexuality. But we want to communicate to them that, you know, some people that have penises, they, you know, identify as boys, but they don't have to be. They, they can be girls as well. And uh, that gender is fluid. It's something you can choose. Now, um, you know, first of all, when we laugh at this kind of stuff, we are being um, uncompassionate. This is heartbreaking stuff. This is stuff we should cry about. Now, I understand the laughter response because sometimes you have to laugh to keep from crying. I understand that, but we should cry more than we should laugh. Um, we shouldn't make fun of people like this because they are under deception. But I want you to hear some of the things that they said. We don't want our children to be bound by gender stereotypes. Anybody who raised kids, do they ever want, you want your kid to be bound by a stereotype? No. Do you agree with that? You don't want your children to be bound by stereotypes, right? We want them to be able to make their own choices. Now, apart from the fact that you don't believe they can choose to be a boy or a girl, that they're given that by God, do you want your kid to be able to make their own choices? Of course you do. We want them to be respectful of others. Do you want to cheat your children to be respectful of others? Of course you do. Can I tell you where all those concepts come from? Free will, the whole idea of not being bound by a stereotype and being respectful of others, they come from the scripture. They come from the word of God. Those are Judeo-Christian ethics. And when you communicate these things, it all sounds so good. My point exactly. Satan masquerades as an angel of light. So remember the first lie I ever spoken? Did God really say? Well, surely you won't die. Your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. See what he's saying? He's agreeing with God because God did say that they'll know good from evil, but God said, don't eat the tree. He's saying, look, it's good for you. And he mixes just the right amount of truth in there with the deception to drag us down. You see, Satan takes something evil and he makes it sound so good. And you have to understand this because the enemy is lurking around every corner. And you need to be wise and discerning with the word of God and the spirit of God and the people of God all surrounded around you. 
Because then when you walk in a world full of deception, you can spy out the enemy and say, oh, there that little sucker is. There he is. He's raising his hands now. See, we're in a war for our thoughts about who God is and what the truth is. And the enemy is doing the very thing that he's done from the very beginning. He did it when Jesus was in the desert. He uses the very words of God, the very concepts of God, to tempt us into believing deception and drawing us away. Listen, it sounds like this. Well, don't you want to be kind to everybody? How dare you say that about someone who's transgender, that they shouldn't be that way? That's not kind at all. That's just so rude. Don't you want to be kind to everybody? Shouldn't everyone be allowed to determine who they love? Isn't that the right thing to do? Now, come on, everybody should be able to choose who they love. How dare you say that somebody's choice to love someone of the same gender in this way sexually is wrong according to God's plan? I can't believe you're so bigoted. How can you be so disrespectful as to not acknowledge someone's choice of gender? Do you hear what the enemy's doing? This is the very thing he's always done. You have to understand that we don't apply this in every area of life. I read an article this week about BID. It's called Body Integrity Identity Disorder. And this is not a very common thing, but people have it. People with otherwise healthy bodies think that they need to have one of their limbs taken off. Some people are shaking their head. You've probably heard of this. BID, B-I-I-D. Literally, they think, okay, I'd be better off if I live without my leg, and I have to have my leg amputated. I need to have it amputated. And they're obsessing about having their legs amputated. Now, why don't we just cut their legs off? Because we know the problem is not in their leg. The problem is in their head. they got a problem with their thought life, and so we actually tell them, hey, <laughs> this is not going to make you happier. There's something wrong up here. You need to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What I found out this week is there are some doctors out there that are actually helping these people by cutting off their arms and legs. This is insanity, folks. This is evil. Now look, when we enter into these discussions, we need to be wise as serpents and gentle as doves. We need to smell this stuff out, and we still need to love. So let me just proclaim three quick truths to you about gender before we stop. The first one is this. We are different by design. God created us man and woman, and that is true. We spoke about it some last week, but I told you a misfact last week. I actually said that there are 2,600 differences between men and women genetically. I was wrong. I confess that. I did more research. I did, researchers are now there's identifying 6,500 genetic differences between men and women. It's not less, it's more. Researchers in the most recent research have actually looked closely at 20,000 protein-coding genes, sorting them by sex and searching for differences in expression in each tissue. And they eventually identified 6,500 genetic differences with activity that was based on bias of sex. In other words, this is what defines a woman. This is what defines a man. This is how a woman's hair grows. This is how a man's hair grows. And guess what? They're different. We are different by design. Now, this is very important because we've said this before. Men and women together represent God's image together more fully than either could alone. So when God said, I made them men and women, in my image I made them, he's saying, here's a representation of God. Take a man, take a woman, put them together. Now you see my image. Now you see my 
You see, because in women, God's reflected more fully than in a man. Women can see ketchup in the refrigerator. Men can't do that. Any men say amen? Mom said, honey, where is the ketchup? Where is the ketchup? She's like, Jeff, you don't. It's right there in front of you. I'm a visionary. I'm looking beyond towards the back of the refrigerator. You see, like, we are different. And, and I'm not trying to stereotype anything, because Tracy, honestly, we were switched. I cry easier at movies than she does. You know, like, I, I have my feelings hurt sometimes more readily than she does. And by the way, I'm not afraid of saying that to you. I can be a rather fragile man. I can. I'm serious. I need people to be gentle with me at times. I'm a musician, Dagnabbit. I have an artistic temperament. Now, there's, there's strengths to that, but there's also weaknesses to that. But I remember somebody coming to me when I was in my 20s, and they found out that I was kind of open, like I was feeling, I was a feeling guy. And I was also a, a, you know, a guy that was sensitive and, and gentle, and I needed people to be gentle with me, and I could tell them that. And they looked at me, and they said, are you sure you're not gay? And I went, well, I don't know. Nobody's ever asked me that question. Can I tell you something? That's how the enemy starts. So some of you in here have been subject to this already. Somebody has come to you and they've planted a seed of deception. And I'm going to get to that in a second because you, your sexuality does not define your identity. But, you know, they plant a seed of deception and you start questioning yourself what's going on inside of you. If you're here and you have same-sex attraction, you are welcome here. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. I didn't cross the gender line in my lust, but I could have. I could have. But what I'm trying to tell you is that people plant seeds and they're being used by the evil one to cause you to question who you are in him. And gender is something that is given to us by design, at birth, by the sovereign hand of the creator. And it is the hand you have been dealt. And some of us in here may be questioning, well, I really feel like I'm a man trapped inside of a woman's body. No, you're a woman inside of a woman's body who's struggling with deception. That's what's going on. And I know that's not popular to say, but it doesn't matter. Now look, the insanity of this thing, this is 23 separate genders. Uh, male, female, bigender, androgenine, uh, nertrosis, uh, intergender, demiboy, demigirl, third gender, um, pangender, epicene. This is like, now this is only 23, 31 at Princeton now, they're saying, 31 different genders. And you have to remember the gender personal pronoun that refers to that person so you can call them the proper name. You don't just say he or she anymore. You can't say that. You have to know what their proper gender pronoun is. There's laws being passed in Canada right now, you know, that make it illegal for you not to ascribe to this. And, and not only that, but they make it illegal for you to oppose your children going through gender reassignment at young ages. Canada just passed a law it says social services can take your child, no matter what age they are. If they're 12 and they say that they're a boy and they really are a girl, if you don't let them go through hormone replacement and surgery, they can be taken from you, put in foster care. Folks, that's a mess. And so these are lies that are coming from the evil one. And by the way, you've got to understand this. People that do go through gender reassignment, their suicide rates soar. They soar. I don't have time to get into all that, but I'm just saying is in the long run, if you listen to somebody who's gone through this process, they often look back with great regret. Now look, 
Lies about gender are attacks against the image of God. Because we've said man and women together more fully reflect God's image than either could alone. So you need to understand this, that when this gender attack comes, Satan is trying to go for the juggler. He doesn't try and just mess around with the little stuff, although sometimes the, the, the junior demons are okay with that stuff. The senior guys, they want to go after the juggler vein. And the juggler vein is if I can attack the very character of God, then I can deceive people more fully, and then they can be mine. And so when he goes after this stuff, he's going against the very image of God. This is huge. Gender and sexuality do not define identity. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith, for all of you are baptized into Christ, having clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor there is male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now listen up. This whole phrase, it's just who I am. It's just who I am. That is a lie from the pit of hell. I do not walking around defining myself as a heterosexual man. It's just who I am. And that's not who I am. Now look, I'm a recovered alcoholic, and I use that for, for terminology for a reason. I never define myself as alcoholic. I'm a child of the Most High God. So look, when somebody, when somebody believes that this is their identity, when they believe that somehow I'm a woman and that's who I am and they're really a man and they believe that in their hearts, they're going to fight with everything they have to protect their identity. And the deception now gets at the deepest place because now Satan has convinced them that they need a fight to protect who they are. Who they are? Who they are is a sacred person created in the image of God. And that they come to Jesus Christ and they become a child of the Most High God. You see, he buys them back. He bought us back and he gave us a new name. He gave us a new identity. You no longer need to search for an identity in anything of the world. More or less your gender. Your identity is simply that you are a child of God. And that's what God longs for us to know. And we need to understand this, that our battle is not against people. Scripture is very clear. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So we need to trust the Lord in such a way that we fight this battle well. Let's stand together as we close in prayer. Am I going to ask the worship team to come back out? I don't know if I am, because I think we're running a little late. So what we're going to do is I'm going to, there they are. You want to play us out? Okay. I'm going to pray us out, then they're going to play us out. We are running a little bit late on time today, so if you have children and grace kids, we'd encourage you to grab them. I'm going to encourage you to fight the battle in the Spirit of God. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, we thank you for your faithfulness in teaching us the truth about who we are in you, and about the way that you design things to be. Father, we know that there is a tremendous assault being waged against your character in this culture. Father, we pray that you'd help us to stand firm in you and to trust you in such a way that we can continue to let love come to us and love move through us as we speak the truth to those around us. And Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for showing us the way you said no servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted you, 
they're going to persecute us. So God, I pray that you'd help us to wander out into the world here, showing your image, collecting rejections, because we're so filled with you, with your love, with your power, with your spirit, with your gentleness, with your kindness, that we do not flinch at adversity. That we look to those like Isabella Chow, who are heroes of the faith, who boldly proclaim in love, I'm not ashamed to be identified with Jesus. Proclaim to a world that is lost, there is freedom in you. We thank you, Lord Jesus. If you set us free, we are free indeed. We pray this all in your precious name. Amen. Folks, if you want to stay and sing with us, you're welcome to do so. If not, have a wonderful week in the Lord.